everyone. Um, thanks to everyone at Design Day for having me. I'm super honored to be here. It's my very first time in Amsterdam. Your city is like pretty much the most beautiful city ever, in case you were wondering. Um, <laughs> not, not everyone tells you guys that? Huh, weird. Okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, obviously I'm going to be talking about animation and UI animation specifically. And this kind of stuff gets me really excited. Um, I used to be the CSS girl in a flash shop. Anyone else? Couple? Yeah, usually there's like one or two people who are like, oh yes, me too. <laughs> yeah. And it was one of those things where like, they're basically like, oh, you know, we have this really boring website work. It doesn't like move around or do anything cool. Let's have Val do it with that stupid, boring CSS stuff. Whatever. She can do that. Um, so I would always get the boring stuff. And they were like, well, too bad HTML and CSS can't do anything cool. Your job sucks. And, you know, in jest over beers. But still, it was really sad. And they kind of meant it. So that's why I'm really excited about all this stuff we can do with CSS and just basically on the web at all these days, you know, between like all the things we can do with CSS, our super fast JavaScript, things like WebGL and Canvas and all this stuff. It's like all of those things they told me I could never do, I can do them all. That makes me really happy. And it's just amazing the power we have even with just CSS, which is my most favorite one to work with because, well, I mean, I wrote a book on CSS stuff, so I guess that means I like it a lot. I don't know, maybe the CSS girl name uh, kind of stuck. But yeah, the power we have even just with CSS is really, really amazing. I don't think we're excited enough about it. So um, I'll show you what I mean with how much power we have um, with CSS using uh, cats. It's my cat, Cyril. And um, possibly the risky decision to live code in front of a few hundred people. You know, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so this is Cyril, and he really has... Uh, he likes, he likes water a lot, especially really cold water. Um, and that's okay, because I like cats a lot. I actually went to the cat museum yesterday. If you haven't seen it, it's hilarious. But we have three different things with CSS, right? We have transforms, transitions, and animations. They all kind of sound like they could do the same thing, because like those words could all mean the same thing. But they don't, because you know that would be too easy. So if we start with stuff like our transforms, because those are kind of like I like to call them the yoga of CSS, because we take these normally flat, rectangular things, and we're like, oh my god, my left corner is where? Ouch! It's kind of awesome. So we have transforms. Helps if you spell them right. Uh, so I hear. And we often just like translate these. We'll move stuff around, like maybe 100 pixels over, 50 pixels. No, not a 500. We'll never see it then. Um, also helps if you spell it correctly. Haha. <laughs> and then where, you know, our cat just kind of moves over and down, and he's over there, and he's maybe a little bit sad that I moved him off the screen, which means he's not as getting as much attention. Poor cat. Oh, well. We can also get a little bit crazy with transforms. We can start doing things like scaling, not tabbing, and skewing. And then this whole time, we're like either Googling or swearing or just like kind of wondering or like, does rotate, is that use degrees? Does it take turns? Is scale out of one or two or a hundred? Like, what the heck is going on? And after a lot of swearing and Googling, you know, we end up with something fun like this. And we're like, we just did that with CSS. We totally messed up that complete message. <laughs> Sorry, Cyril. Um, he might be, that might hurt, I don't know. And then transforms also give us basically the easiest 3D in the history of ever, where you just like rotate along the x-axis, let's say, and you're like, okay, helps if you save, and you're like, oh look, 3D. It's never been that easy, and if you want to get really crazy, you can add some perspective. Oh yeah, that was actually right, why did I backspace? And then you're like, whoa, ouch, he's sort of like, it's getting a little bit, it's getting a little bit insane. And we, of course, still only use one line of CSS. But also, 
as much fun as transforms are, nothing has actually moved yet, right? Like we've done some really horrible things to Cyril, we'll just undo that. Uh, but he hasn't actually moved. Like transforms sound like something might transform and happen, but no, it doesn't. Um, that's where we have transitions, which of course also gets us into tongue twister territory. We're like, I'm gonna transition the translated transform. <sighs> yeah, we don't sound like crazy people doing our daily jobs or anything. So <laughs> transitions we often do, we need two different states. And a lot of the times we'll do this on hover. Um, I called the picture of Cyril Kitten because I'm trying to like win points and have him like me. Uh, so I called him a kitten. He's actually 14, but whatever. We will we'll compliment him when we can, right? So maybe we'll do like a transform here. We'll be like, hey, why don't you just scale up a tiny little bit, nothing too crazy. So that's our second state. And then we also need to tell Cyril and his, well, his pitcher, really, he's not gonna listen to this kind of thing. Be like, hey, so um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if your transform property changes, could you take like 0.3 seconds, no, 0.2 seconds, change my mind, maybe like ease that out. Would that be okay with you? Did I spell transition right? We'll find out in a second. And then it's just like, that's it. We just have a hover state in this, and that's like our mouse in and mouse over state. So any of you former, former flash shop people who've ever had to code both the mouse over and mouse out, yeah, don't you want those hours of your life back right now? I know I do. It's like, seriously? Oh. And you might call this animation because something is changing shape and state over time. And according to things like, oh, common sense, the dictionary, that is animation. Uh, CSS, though, this is a transition, not an animation. And you wonder why we ever get confused. So that gets us from point A to B, and it's pretty darn cool. But like, what if we want something more complicated? And uh, that's where our keyframe animations come in. And with keyframes, we can go from like point A, B, C, D, all the way to Z or Z, depending on your preference. But I'm pretty sure here you guys use Z. That's the right answer, by the way, in case you're wondering. That usually gets more laughs. That's OK. Um, <laughs> so we set up a list of keyframes. And essentially, the only thing that limits the number of keyframes we can put in an animation is our patience to type them out. Uh, as a general rule of thumb, if you ever find yourself standing in front of a couple hundred people, limit yourself to two. <laughs> yep, not even kidding. <laughs> so maybe we'll move him down, and then we'll just like, because I've made a big deal out of the 3D, we'll do a little 3D. How else did you spell that right? So that's our 0% uh, keyframe, conveniently with no line wrapping to make it really hard for me to know if I've actually put semicolons there. But We'll have a little fun and be a little risky here. And then we'll zero this out for our 100% keyframe. So it basically goes from zero to 100%, the beginning and the end. And essentially I'm saying, go from someplace kind of crazy and then zero these out so you will end up exactly where you already were. That was a lot of work, but nothing will actually happen yet. I can even prove it to you by refreshing this. Oh, not saving it, refreshing it. Yeah, habit, right? Save everything, save everything. So nothing happens at all yet because we haven't told it what to do with that set of keyframes. We just kind of wrote it out. And uh, for animations to work, we need to give it a few properties to tell it what to do. We can write them all out really longhand. They're all like nice and like hugely long, like animation timing function, animation duration. Or if we like value our sanity, we'll just write it in short form and just say, use the animation of slide up if you don't mind. Okay, 0.6 seconds and like ease that stuff out again. Um, and that should be good. And here's the hard, the big test. Oh, good, it worked. <laughs> I'm actually gonna make him come from further down because we have enough space to like be really dramatic. So we're like, all right, that's looking pretty good. And then just one last thing because I feel like I sort of cheated by only writing two keyframes. We'll write one more, um, which we'll also have two, but whatever, that's okay. It's like a total of four. And this time we'll go from an opacity of zero, so completely invisible, to an opacity of one. You kind of see where that's going, right? Fading it in. 
And we'll just add this to our little cat message as well. Fade up, fade in, whatever I called it. Two seconds, and we're going to mix it up a little bit. I'm going to ease that in. Yeah, didn't see that coming. And then we have <laughs> two animations happening on one little chat box, and we've still got our hover, too. If you want to be really crazy, you can, like, catch the hover as it's going up. Well, that almost works. So we have a pretty complex little UI animation there for this little alert of Cyril really being concerned about his water. Um, really, if the cat was making these decisions, it would be much flashier, but that's okay. But, you know, just like 20 lines of CSS in a couple of minutes, that's not bad. That's, that's pretty, um, pretty advanced stuff and pretty cool and powerful stuff and not bad at all for something that's like, you know, not even a programming language. But the coolest part is we can also do this on things that are not cats. <laughs> I know, it's, it's shocking. Oh, this was much smoother when I had that open. Screen is still there. Yes. Okay, didn't see that. So, oh, remote helps. Stripe is a payment processing company, and they, oh, I guess earlier this year, probably in around February or April, they wrote about this, and they basically decided they wanted their payment processing system to look really sophisticated, feel really modern, and just be like very pleasant, you know, payment experience. And if you think back to like some of the other options, like maybe the last time you used PayPal, and it was basically transporting you back to like 1995, and that's if you got their new design. Um, so it, it's pretty painful. Payment processing isn't something we're like, I can't wait to fill out some forms, yay! No one says that. Um, but Stripe wanted to look sophisticated, they wanted to seem modern, and they wanted to seem very trustworthy. And they decided that they were going to do that, they were going to reach those goals specifically by focusing on animation as part of their design process. So some of the things they ended up with were things like this, where they've got um, you know, some animation when you make mistakes, which I think in this particular video thing I just kept leaving it blank and being like, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now? They have some great little hovers and stuff. They have bits of their form that come in and out, like reveal themselves when you need them, get rid of themselves when you don't. And the whole process is very animation heavy, but not in the way that like flashy intro site trying to win awards. It's like useful animations that actually help you through the process and communicate valuable things about their service and what you're doing. Basically the best thing ever. I was so excited to see this. And they also put this through on their, um, on their mobile small screen site as well. It's a little squishier, a little bouncier, but essentially they're carrying through those same design decisions where they're doing like the shake animation if you get stuff wrong, just takes me a while to get something wrong, um, and really similar stuff, how they hide and reveal information, similar motion for simil similar pur uh, purposes. And they were just did such a great job at this. And oops, and I really, really, really like this. Oh, not a real credit card number. If you, anyone's trying to buy stuff, not gonna work. Um, I was so happy to see this, that they used design, I mean, they used animation in this way, but one of the really, maybe my most favorite thing about it is it's very obvious that they weren't like, so we have this payment form, and maybe we should put some animations on it. What do you think, guys? This is how designers talk in meetings. They just kick air. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't like, oh, yeah, yeah, do that, add it later. They obviously were considering motion and animation from the very beginning. In the very beginning of their process, they were considering this, and they were trying things out. And I'm sure they went through like 500 versions or something before they got to this. But the fact they considered it early and did it really well, it's like, this is the kind of stuff, like, that's, that's exactly what you want to be going for. Like, that's the kind of animation I want to have in my work. And I'm assuming, since you guys are all hanging out listening to me, that you want that as well. 
basically the idea that animation and UX can work together, and animation can be something that helps what you're trying to do, helps you accomplish your tasks, whatever they might be. It isn't just this thing that's like, woo, look at me, distraction. You know, there's really good ways we can use this. The tricky part, of course, is there's two parts to using it well, right? You, know, you want to find places where it's going to be useful, um, where it's actually going to help and not be in the way. And then the second part, which may or may not be harder, I can't really decide. The second part is that you want to pull it off with style, right? You, know, you don't, don't want to have, even an animation that's placed really well, if it's poorly executed, it's never, it's still going to be ugly and in the way because it's just not, doesn't have that great factor of like, you know, really good design is invisible. It's so good you don't notice it. Like that's the kind of thing you want to have, not something that's in your way. So those two parts are what I'm going to go through in the next couple minutes. The very first one is figuring out the best places for animation to go where it can be helpful. You know, how can we be a bit like Stripe and look at, you know, places to add animation in our own process? So there's a, a short list of things that I think animation is pretty darn good at when it comes to being useful. Um, first one being, as you can tell from this title slide, is establishing location. Especially when we're getting to like these, you know, trying to fit more stuff on smaller screens, getting to this sort of like layered interface situation where there's things behind things and we're using the fancy 3D we have, it starts becoming a lot harder for people to know where things are or where they came from. And we can use animation to help that along and make it less work for people. This is the Wacom site, or the Wacom site as I like to call it because that's more fun. Uh, they don't seem to mind, no one's like, I haven't got any mean tweets for that yet. And take a look at how their, uh, how their animation, take a look at how their navigation works, where they have their main nav, and then eventually their sub-nav reveals itself. Main nav just gets out of the way when you need it. I spent a really long time looking at the products in the site. But your main navigation starts out super wide, and then it gets really skinny so you can see the sub-navigation behind it. But the really nice part is, is it actually transitions to that skinnier state. So you get a better feel for where it is. You're like, oh, it's moving out of the way because the sub-navigation is behind it. Right, got it. And I mean, you probably weren't thinking those exact sentences in your head, but you get that in that like, you know, 0.3 seconds or whatever it is. Now you've got that spatial idea of like, oh, the sub-nav is behind the main nav, and the main nav didn't disappear, it just shrunk and got skinnier. Part of the beauty of it is like if that transition wasn't there, if they were just like big menu, skinny menu, and it was just a hard cut, you'd still see the submenu. It wouldn't be broken, but you'd lose that little bit of information as to what happened. You're like, whoa, what? why is the menu skinny all of a sudden? Did I break something? What happened? Like none of that's there. It's just a nice smooth transition, looks good, and it makes you like, you know what's going on and you feel good about it. Um, we do this a lot with 3D as well. I had to throw some 3D in here. This is uh, the O-Power team page. And each team member just kind of flips around. And on the back, you get some detail about each one of them. Apparently, they are all incredibly energy efficient. A little, I don't want to know what my graph would look like. But, you know, it's just that idea of that metaphor of like a card flip, sort of like um, baseball cards with stats on the back or any sports cards, really. I'm not really into sports, but I hear that's how they work. Um, or cereal boxes where you'd have like ingredients or French on the back. Like there's just more information on the back of it. And it kind of takes that real world metaphor and flips stuff over for more information. So you know it's there for when you want to check out the team members on the lower list. And if you're wondering, people lower down don't have as good scores. Um, but you know where it is and you kind of learn that as you use it. Hiding that bit of detail instead of cluttering it up, putting it behind on the back and you still know where it is. 
Guiding tasks is another thing that animation is really good at. It's kind of similar to this, the orientation. Um, you know, as we get to do a lot of more complex things where we're not just like clicking stuff and reading a page, maybe we want like real-time information or want to reorder information, things become a little more complicated and we can use some motion to help guide people through what's happening and give them feedback on what they've done or what they can do. I put together this example uh, for an Alyssa Part article. It's, um, it has three different animations to help you add to this extremely important shopping list. And I'll let you take a look at it first. So as we add new things, list opens, changes color, we really need apples. And then when you delete them, they turn red and go out the other way. So there's like three separate animations happening there, even though the adding and removing process is completely simplified with two buttons. You know, the list opens up to make room for the new thing, the new thing slides in, it starts out blue, and that long color fade indicates its age, so if it's like very blue, must be very new. If it's getting a little foggy and almost gray, getting old, and then once it's hit that dark gray black, you're like, well, that's been there a while, who cares? Um, and then when you remove it, turns red and goes out the other way. So there's three different animations kind of helping you keep track of what you're doing, because if your list just kept growing, you'd have to do that all in your head, and it might not be as easy. And it definitely wouldn't feel as maybe sophisticated or nice to use. Google Plus does this really well. I usually make a joke about saying you guys all look like Google Plus users, but I have no idea if it's popular anywhere at all. Um, <laughs> this, no, I didn't think so. Uh, sorry, Google, they're doing so much great stuff with design, but like we don't need another social network. But I did use it to do this. Um, it's when you add your friends into different circles, it does a really good job creating different animations to help you along with this process of putting your friends into strange categories. So as you collect them up, just this thing, it gives you a pile of friends, tells you how many you have, and then gives you all this feedback as to where you can drop them and who else is in them. And it's a ton of information you're getting as you do this, and it really actually helps. You're like, okay, I've got four people. I know where they can go. I know where I maybe should drop them or not. Um, and as much as maybe none of us use Google+, this, I think this is a really well-done way of, of guiding you through this transaction or whatever you're trying to do. And the, but the most interesting thing about it is it actually changed a lot since it first went live. They iterated on this even after they first put Google+, live. And I know Google's like constantly always in beta, but they basically took a look at how people were using it, if it was effective or not, and made little tweaks along the way. And I guess it's sort of like, like if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, did it still happen? It's kind of one of those cases. You're like, if Google does really good UI animation and no one uses it, is it there? I don't know. But I still like it. And of course, guiding tasks does not have to be super serious. For example, this registration form. As you're filling it out, little owl points with his middle feather in his eyes. He's like, so, I mean, they obviously had a mascot, and they wanted to use him for a little bit of fun. They could have gone all like Microsoft Clippy on us, right, and been like, "Looks like you're trying to fill out an, an application form. Do you know your email address?" And like hop around and be like, "Yay, do you want help?" And then we'd hate him. Um, <laughs> but the fact that it's just like subtly helping you keep track of which form fields you're filling out. It's, it's a super good choice. It gives them a little chance to put their mascot in there, add a little personality, and also you're like, hey, this is kind of a nice registration form. I almost don't mind filling out a bunch of fields. They do it for their login form as well. When you put in your password, the owl covers his eyes. It's like the cutest thing. 
Just a little added thing, and it's a little bit helpful. Um, you know, there's still other information showing you which field you're on, but a little reinforcement, especially when it's done with such style, doesn't hurt. I mean, the whole surprise and delight is like a buzzword we're all supposed to hate or something because it's a buzzword, but if you have an opportunity to do something fun like this that is a little fun, is a little surprise and delight, it is so effective. You know, it's definitely if you have the chance to do it, you should go for it, with owls or otherwise. <coughs> Animation is also really, really great at demonstrating. You know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, so I figure animation needs to be worth at least about a million thousand. I'm uh, still working on the science to back that up exactly, but I'm pretty sure that number is accurate. So MailChimp does this really well on their homepage when instead of having like a carousel or a crazy big hero thing, or like, I guess these days it would be white text over a photo and an outline button. Um, <laughs> Oh, the design jokes are working much better today than I expected. I like you guys. <laughs> so they decided to spend three seconds essentially showing you how their product works. So it just kind of fades in. And it's super short. And as you're watching it, you get an idea of like how their product works. Like that's exactly how it works. They get extra bonus points because they did this with actual CSS animations. The next example didn't, so they're not as cool, but these guys did. And it's like this two or three second thing where if you miss it and you only see the images, no big deal. If you do see it, you're, you get so much information as to how their product works, what it's for, and what it might be like to use it. You know, they have that all written out elsewhere on their site. It's not like a big mystery meat thing. But if you see this, you're getting that same information so much faster and just with so much more impact than reading like paragraphs of like our features and stuff, which, you know, no one reads on the internet. Envision does the same thing, um, but they actually put the text explanation and the kind of animated explanation together. Whereas you're going down their page looking at the features of what their software does, it shows you it in action, and then also talks about the feature on, on the other side. So they're just quick little demonstrations of how their product works. It's not like a whole walkthrough or like an intro, just a couple seconds with each point to reinforce what it might be like to use it, and kind of, I'm assuming, you know, they can write even less text because they're like, here, look, they don't have to say, look, it's really easy. They're just like, look, your team members pop up and you talk to them and you prototype things and it's lovely and colorful. Um, I'm not a copywriter, clearly. <coughs> but yeah. And it doesn't, it's not something that has to be reserved only for software and like how to use our software or even anything that's like your main business like principle. If there's something you want to call attention to that you think your audience would like, you can demonstrate that as well. The Virgin Airlines site does this with their little icons and I especially like the phone one there in the corner. Where, yeah, he's the sleeping phone, so cute. He's getting charged. Then he's so happy. Your phone is so happy to be on this flight. Like they could say stuff like, we have outlets at all our chairs and USB stuff at seats. But like seeing that, I'm like, oh, my phone is going to be happy on this flight. I will be happy on this flight. And it's just kind of amazing. Um, so, you know, that's not something that's super critical. They do have it written out elsewhere, but that's just so much more impactful. And you're like, oh, I get it. I see a happy phone. I like happy phones. We'll buy ticket. You know, zombie hypnotized stuff. But it's really, really impactful. Kind of following on that, animation focuses attention. It basically grabs all the attention. Of all the design tools we have as far as like typography, color, you know, hierarchy, anything, animation is the one that has the most tendency to speak with its outside voice. 
Um, it tends to yell a lot. And we use that kind of for evil a lot, right? Like we've all seen banner ads that are like, yay, save percentage on your mortgage or, you know, whatever popular banner ads have. And they're just like, why is there a lady dancing talking about banks? I don't get it. And it has nothing to do with that. There generally are no dancing ladies in banks. Um, and it's not, it's not supposed to. It's, they've decided to have this little dancing thing or whatever moving around because they know their banner is going to be in the far right column while you're trying to read the important stuff in the middle and they need to get your attention so they make it move because they know you'll, your eyes will be drawn to it and you'll be like, darn it, I did not want to look at that banner ad. And then we all install ad block and everything else and it's just like a horrible spiral. Um, but which tends to be used for really bad stuff. But what if we decided to take this very attention-grabbing thing, like motion and animation, and instead of using it for evil banner ads, we used it for good? Like, what if we took the actual information that the, our audience is most interested in and made it the most important? It's a crazy idea. I know, pretty insane, right? Fitbit does this really well. And Basically, if you're coming to the Fitbit site, you want to know one thing, like how many steps did I take? Because I want to know if I beat my friends or if I can have this cake for dessert or, you know, whatever. Or if I want to see if I should regret the cake I just had. And what they do on both the site and their mobile app is they essentially reserve motion only for your data, only for your information. That's the only thing that moves. So you get all your stuff and your bars animate in and your badges are like, yay, you did so great. I picked a good day, obviously. <laughs> I sit at a computer like the rest of you. <laughs> But that's the only thing that moves. The bars in that activity chart behind, <coughs> behind my information, like the uh, horizontal ones, they were there statically. All of those containers and titles were already there. The only thing animating is my information and then the kind of, yeah, you did good enough. Um, you can have cake. They need a badge for that, actually. Like, it's cool, over 10,000 steps, go eat cake. And they carry this over really well in their mobile app. Um, even though it is an app and not a website, they use, they'd make that same design decision, even though the layout is completely different, they carry that through. Where the only thing animating is your information and your little badges. You know, it adds up in a different way, the badges are different, but it's the same thing. Of course, in this case, I don't know. I like it a lot, I love how they've been so consistent about it. But in that video, I also changed days. And they don't even have a page transition in their app. They've gotten rid of that entirely. So you're like, wait, what day am I looking at? But other than that, I think it's great. So that's kind of a short list of a few ways we can identify where animation can help us complete tasks and actually get stuff done and, and be useful. Um, I wrote a whole longer list in this article of UI animation and, and UX and not so secret friendship which is a much shorter title to read than say out loud, um, but that's on a list of parts, and there's some more examples in there you guys might find interesting if you want to find out more about that, because really the list could be endlessly long. Um, uh, I could talk about it all day, but then I'd get in trouble, <laughs> at least here. I was told I'd get dragged off stage if I ran out of time. Yeah, I should do that. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> So then there's the other half. We identify places of where to put this stuff, where it'll be useful, of places where it can actually make a difference in a good way. But then we have to do it with style. Because, like anything, design decisions, if you don't do it with style, like it's kind of, you're missing half of it. Um, but most of us generally don't have an animation degree. So how can we kind of fake that and make some really good decisions to make sure this motion we're adding is going to look really good? I have a short list for that as well. 
I have four things that basically, if, if any UI animations you create do all four of these things, you will almost be a UI animation master. You'll be so much better than like, oh, probably 90% of the websites out there. So doing it with style. Um, the first rule is to keep your animations flexible, <coughs> which sounds like really simple advice, but is oddly, it's a really easy trap to fall into and get wrong without realizing it. So we'll go back to Stripe, this time in slow motion. Check out what happens as I check and uncheck my box about remembering me. I'm actually clicking really fast in this video. Slow motion is awesome. But as I'm like changing my mind excessively about whether or not I want to be remembered, that little bit of form is kind of doing that 3D like kind of swing down. And if I uncheck the box before it gets to the bottom and is flat against my screen, it doesn't like, it just changes direction. I can interrupt it. It's like, oh, I don't need to finish. You don't want me, you want me, you want me, you don't, you, uh, oh. And it doesn't even get mad, it's kind of great. Um, but no matter what, whenever I changed the, the value of that box, of whether I checked it or unchecked it, it would interrupt where it was and just turn around and go back or turn around and go forwards. I never had to wait for that transition to finish. Um, essentially, you never ever want to have people waiting for your transition to finish. So contrast that with Mammoth Booth, who um, do a lot of really great things on their site, but they do this one thing really wrong, so I have to talk about it and say they did it wrong because it really bothers me. This video is not in slow motion, uh, but what I do is I go and click on the FAQ page because I think I want FAQs, I think maybe. But then before the FAQ page comes in, I'm like, no, just kidding, gallery page. Wait, why do I have the FAQs still? Hmm, confusing. But essentially, the logic they're using for their navigation forces you to wait for the page transition before you can make a different choice. So even though I clicked on gallery before FAQ loaded, it wasn't listening anymore. It's like, nope, in transition, ignoring you. you know, I can't see or hear anything. Um, and it's a really easy place to get into because the logic for doing this is much easier than the logic for being interruptible. And if you think of back to, to Cyril the cat, there really was a purpose of that demo, I swear. Um, when we did the transition of having him grow and get smaller, that could really easily be interrupted, and if we moused out before he got to his 1.2 scale, he'd just go back down. The keyframes, you know, CSS keyframes, on the other hand, don't have that kind of flexibility. So there's kind of a reason behind the madness of why we have so many different ways to animate things, because sometimes you want it to be interruptible, um, and if you don't make it interruptible, you end up in my presentation like Mammoth Booth. Terrible place to be. So kind of following on that is don't create obstacles. You know, don't purposely get in the way of what people are trying to do. This is the Nixon watch site. And take a look at how their animated nav navigation works. And it's a very complex navigation. They're like, here, here's more navigation. Oh, gone. You know, it gets in and out of the way really fast. Even though they have <coughs> a short novel, Sorry, a short novel's worth of navigation items. You get to them all really quickly, even though it's animated. And then when you don't want it, it gets the heck out of your way. Kind of want to hug that website. Like how they did that. Contrast that with Square, who kind of handle things a little bit differently. They're like, oh, would you like our main menu? Cool. Watch this modal. Watch each individual item animated in separately, and then you may make a selection. And then it's like, well, what if you pick the wrong page? Oh, wait for this modal to open and take over the whole page. Wait for each individual thing to animate in, and then you can change your mind. It's like, which one do you want to be? You know, it, it's, a, it's obviously a very subjective thing, as much, much to do with design is, 
but I would say that's a bad decision of like putting your navigation in a modal where people have to wait for it to open, wait for each item to animate in, and then actually, you know, navigate your site. Not thinking it's the best plan. Interestingly enough, Squared actually redesigned since I put this in here. Uh, and like a month or so ago, they put up a new site with a completely different navigation, which doesn't do this, but I still have problems with. Um, but I don't have enough time for a rant, so we'll move on. The basic, basically, the best advice to avoid this, of creating obstacles, of avoiding ever having people have to wait for your transitions, avoiding all of those mistakes, the best way to do it is to prototype the crap out of anything you're doing. You know, whatever you have idea-wise in your head, even on paper or whatever you can kind of like put together in Photoshop as a storyboard, everything in that medium or in that way, it never really ends up on screen the same way. The only way to really know if this stuff is helping, if it's feeling right, if it really is, um, if it really is nice to use and pleasant to use, is to put something together where you can actually try it out and actually see it moving. Um, because I, I always kind of imagine, like that squared one, there was a meeting where they were like, and we will have our navigation in the modal. And everyone was like, yeah, awesome idea. And then they built it, and we're like, oh, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Um, but I mean, it happens all the time. I've been in those meetings where you're like, yeah, and then we're going to add this animation, and we'll do the navigation like this, and it'll be great. And no one bothers to try it out until like the site's totally done, and you're like, ooh, bad decision. <sighs> so prototype the crap out of everything. Um, so away from the stakes and more, more about not make, uh, or I guess more, the more positive half of the list. Uh, look at both speed and readability. We tend to really focus on how fast transitions are happening and how fast animations are happening. And it makes sense, because we have things like, we don't want to make people wait for the transition, let's just make it faster. Make it even faster. And then eventually maybe we're like, okay, just take it out. But then like, wait, is that really a good decision? Like, how do we get around that idea of like, how fast should it be? How fast is too fast? It's like a big philosophical question. But in general, point two, between 0.2 seconds and 0.6 seconds is a really good spot for small UI animations. And pretty much everything we've looked at so far has been pretty small ones. You know, things like Cyril's face scaling up, you know, things like our navigation coming down, little things fading into place. Um, things like the happy phone, you know, that's kind of like a series of small animations, right? Things where he's smiling or crying or being sad. Um, so that's a good range to be in. If you're in that range, you're in pretty good shape. But I hear that 0.6 is like a lot bigger than 0.2. There's kind of a lot of space there. So how do we decide <coughs> where to go in that amount of space? A couple other um, helpful rules, I guess. Ease outs generally feel, feel more responsive. Um, and the reason is, is because ease-outs essentially start at full speed and then slow down into place. So you get that feeling of like, oh, it's doing something. You know, to contrast that, ease-ins are like, okay, there we go. And that little bit of hesitation can really be enough to make you feel like, did, I, did, it, did it work? Did it work? I mean, not that anyone ever does that and just clicks things over and over. Um, and so this is kind of a quick demo of, of a difference there. The... Button on the left is ease out, and the one on the right is ease in. So that was the ease out, and that's the ease in, where it's just a little bit, a little bit of a hesitation. And there's nothing different between those two buttons or the transition, except for the fact that one's ease out and one is ease in. And it's the tiniest fraction of a change, which may seem like it's too small for anyone to notice, but then you read tweets like this, where essentially he's saying, they tightened up a bunch of transitions by 50 milliseconds, which is a very small number. 
by the way, in case you want well, sure you know that, but it's a tiny amount of time. People were like, wow, it's working so much better. It's faster. What did you change? And he's like, took 0.5 off. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's really interesting, right? Making those changes to a collection of transitions or animations, even that small amount of change, as long as it's done overall, can have a really big impact on how it feels to use your product or your interface. And of course, if you're thinking like ease out, oh my god, that's only one option out of the five keywords we have. Oh, that's so restrictive, that sucks. Because that's how people work generally in their head. Um, everything in, our, in the second column in is the ease out column. Those are all ease outs. They're all starting fast, ending slow. Steeper is faster. But all those curves are slightly different, right? So ease out isn't necessarily restrictive because you could use all of those, or you could write your own cubic Bezier functions and then, you know, basically have almost infinite amounts of ease out. So there's a lot to work with, even if you want to try to stick with that one. More complicated easing needs more time to be readable. Um, this is a little expanding box. And at first, he's just kind of like an ease out. Let's try starting the movie. There we go. Yeah, so it's just ease out. You're like, oh, it's getting longer. No big deal. Um, but then if we go in and change that and change nothing except for the easing that it's using and give it this fancy cubic Bezier function that I totally just wrote out of my head. I mean, that's why it's a video. <laughs> Once we have that, you know, the motion or the, the way it's easing is very different. It's kind of overshooting and bouncing. And it feels like it's going faster, but we didn't change the duration. There's just a little bit more action to follow with your eye, so it's more complex and feels like it's going faster. Um, you know, so that's kind of one of those cases where, like, maybe just cutting the duration isn't always the best idea. Because if it's not readable, if you can't see what it's doing, if you can't see those bounces at either end, then, you know, like, why'd you bother doing it to begin with? It's all about balance. Oh, this is the most important one. Sometimes I forget it's the most important one, and I say something else is most important. So I've already said something is the most important. I was lying. This is the most important. It's important to clarify that. Just that important like 50 times in one sentence. It's good. Um, so this is the uh, dots game. Uh, I assume it is no longer popular because I like it. Um, but it's like matching up a bunch of bouncy dots. It's really fun. I, it's, it's great. And this is their settings menu. Where it's all like bouncy and like, yay, like, oh, we're going to change some settings. Woo, follow you on Facebook. It's kind of like you're still playing the game. and It's super bouncy. I like to call it Muppet easing because it makes me think of like Grover being like, yeah, let's go. All right, you guys don't watch much Sesame Street. That's cool. Check that off my list. Embarrass self in front of a bunch of strange people. Cool. But anyways, very bouncy, very Muppety, very childlike, very like, let's go play a game of dots. Yay. So like, why is that same easing on my Apple product menu? It's like the exact same easing, but it's MacBooks. I'm like, me and Mr. MacBook Air, we hang out a lot. He would never move like this. In fact, if I tried, I'd have to bring it into the Apple store and get him fixed. <laughs> so it's just completely out of place. And I mean, it's not like Apple you know, is losing any money off this. Clearly, based on all of you guys, no one has stopped buying Apple products. Um, so they're not, you know, they're not losing out, except for people like me. No one's like, oh, Apple, I can't believe you did that. But they have given up this, like, just passed up this great opportunity to, like, communicate their brand and their messaging, which they're usually so good at. It's like that bouncy easing does not match your slick branding. What, what, why did you leave that out? Why? You know, if you're going to go through all the trouble to create something that has motion, you might as well be in control of what it's saying. So bad Apple. 
But as it turns out, I mean, this bothered me since about like, oh gosh, early 2011, give or take. Um, and around that time, a friend of mine went to work for Apple. So every time I talked to him, I was like, Muppetizing, still see Muppetizing, or like, hey, still Muppetizing. Um, he, he no longer returns my texts, but, <laughs> uh, but I noticed this. When the iPhone 6 came out, they changed the easing on this menu. Now it looks like this. And you're like, oh, okay. I feel better about this. So I should maybe give him a call, send him a present. I don't know. <laughs> but it, really, what, I need something else on the Internet to be angry about, because now they fix this. I mean, it's like, what, four or five years of my life? Anyway. Just kidding, I'm not that angry about it. Um, but yeah, your choice of easing, uh, your choice of timing and easing, timing really is what you would say in traditional animation. But for us, dealing with like CSS or JavaScript, that's all in easing and duration. That's the, our, how we control timing. So our choice of timing, our choice of easing, makes so much difference in the animation and what it says. And that's kind of the more important part than like figuring out where it's going. How is it going to get there? That's where the bulk of the communication is. And that's the part as designers that like, we should be most interested in. Otherwise, you might end up in my presentation like Apple. <laughs> I like how that's become a threat. But yeah, so for CSS, essentially the idea is, is to totally love your cubic Bezier functions because that is where all the magic happens. But of course, once we've got all that and we have the rules for how to make the animation look really great, we know how to find places where it'll be useful, how do we get our team to like, you know, be on the same page? How do we get this stuff out of our head? Um, so I'll tell you how I get it out of my head. Uh, Stephen will like this. I start with paper and pencil. And essentially create um, notes, I guess, that mean nothing to anyone but me. Um, for this particular project, I worked with one other person. And he was doing all the development. And if I showed him this, he'd be like, what? No, seriously, what the hell are you talking about? It would not make any sense to anyone, but it makes sense to me, and that's kind of all that matters at first. To get it out of your head in a messy, horrible, scratchy way that you can remember, and you have those ideas. So when you move on to other things, um, like element collages, or whatever kind of, you know, moving into your first bit of design, um, this is for a separate project, um, a little at the bottom of an element collage, where we were making these, uh, these robots were involved, and then at the very bottom, I just put in a couple quick little storyboards of like how these things might move. You know, I had things like, oh, and the robots will flip over. It'll have all their information on the back. And you know, like this, this thing will come up like a movie reel and just like, like an eye blinking and have, have a new uh, slogan come up or a new point come up. Um, and that's usually the point of the meeting where people are like, who hired her? Why is she dancing around our meeting room? I'm like, and it'll be this, it'll be great. Um, but you know, <laughs> Partly to make a fool of yourself if you're into that, but mostly it's to get that conversation going of like, where could animation be helpful in this process from the very beginning, from our element collage system? You know, and like, why would this be a good decision? How does this motion support the design decisions or the design goals we already have? You know, this is the time to start talking about it and also the time to make things that other people can understand. But it's really important to get your ideas moving on screen as early as possible. Basically, like I said, prototyping the crap out of all of your ideas. Um, there's a few different ways to do it. I say this in the nicest way possible, but I, like, I don't care what you use to get it on screen. I don't have, I'm not like one of those judgmental people. You know, some people use Keynote. I could never use Keynote for this, but some people are really good at Keynote, and they use Keynote to put together a little animation of how they think some part of their uh, interface should work. And they put that in front of their team and discuss that. 
A lot of people use After Effects. Um, it's a hugely complicated program that is totally overkill for a UI animation, but if that's what you know already, I mean, it makes a great little tool for just popping in there and being like, here, I think the button should move like this, or this list should scroll like that. Um, my current favorite, though I, um, it's a hesitant favorite, is Adobe Edge Animate. And the main reason why I like it is because um, Adobe, for all their faults, are really, really good at timelines, having done like Director and Flash and all this stuff. So their timeline metaphor is wonderful, and if you want a visual timeline, they're great at it. The other thing I like about it is this ends up in the browser. Because as, as great a tool as Keynote or After Effects is, when you're showing a QuickTime movie to demonstrate how you think a website should work, sometimes, well actually, probably the first question you'll get is like, well that's not a website. My website's not a movie. So this stuff ends up in the browser and just skips that whole weird conversation where you're like, no, it's just like a, an idea. We can talk about it. And they're like, not a browser. Eh. Hopefully you don't work with anyone like that, but if you did. Um, so this is in the browser. The only problem is it's in the browser, and it basically just like vomits JavaScript in multiple files. And it's just like, don't ever view source on this. If you, unless you, if you, need, if you need to throw up, maybe? I don't know. Vomit-inducing code is basically what it spits out right now. Um, hopefully that will improve in the future, but for right now, oh god, don't look at it, it's, it's awful. Um, and I have a little tutorial up on, um, that I did for NetMag, testing this out as a prototyping tool. So if you want to get um, the public opinion on it, you can read that article in Screencast. If you want some of the less public opinions and more details, I can totally tell you that as well. <laughs> it's not bad, really, it's not. Um, but you know, it's... It's a great tool that they're starting to, to, work, to work on, but it's got, to, it's got some time to improve. So to thing, to, uh, to thing things up, ooh, good thing I'm almost done. To finish things up, I just wanted to say to all of you guys, you know, go out and um, try all this stuff out. You know, try out some of this crazy fun CSS stuff we have, even though the, tr the syntax is wacky. You know, look into all this power we have now of all the things we can do with web animation that we could never do before because it is awesome and amazing and really fun to work with. And I think, I mean, you know, go out and take all that, try it out, play with it, and make the awesomest of things because I think that, you know, for the web, all this animation stuff is very new. It's the very beginning. We have, like, a huge, like, path in front of us of what we're going to do with this. And I think we can actually make stuff that's better and more interesting than what's already been done in other mediums. So I'm really excited to see what, how it goes, and I'm really excited to see all of you guys try it out and see what you make with it. So thanks a lot for listening to me, and I think we have a couple times for questions. Thanks. Oh, we do have time for questions, right? Okay, good. Any questions? I know it's like right after lunch, so it's like the snooze time. <laughs> Hi, thanks for your talk. Thanks. I was wondering, we have a responsive website mm -hmm. and um, we uh, could use some nice mouse over effects on the desktop version, but on a device you cannot use any hover effects. Do you have any experience with uh, working around that and solving that problem? Yeah, there's a couple of different, um, I don't know if they really be considered libraries, maybe more like JavaScript snippets, the names of which I am completely escaping me right now, where you can actually use that to kind of um, translate touch to, like, kind of map it to hover. And there's a few ways of handling that. 
Um, so you can actually have like a tap, whether it's a long tap or a short tap, kind of uh, trigger your hover effect, even though it's technically not a hover. Um, so those are pretty useful. Um, if you look up, uh, Jen Lucas actually has a whole talk about, you know, kind of taking those hover effects and putting them on mobile for some more detail as well. But there's definitely a couple JavaScript solutions and just a matter of finding which one you like best. Thank you. No problem. Um, thank you for your presentation. Oh, thanks. Oh, sorry. I'm like, <laughs> where are you in the light? I'm here. <laughs> thanks for waving. Um, I especially liked uh, the mapping of the business decision and animation. That, uh, I really like that. I was stumbling upon one slide. You had mm -hmm. animation plus user experience. Mm -hmm. uh, why do you put the plus there? Isn't it a part of the experience? Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of just suggesting that it is part of the experience. I'm just trying to. I was trying to be cute about it. <laughs> no, it's true though, like it should be part of it, right? They should not be two separate things. If you're going to use it, it's part of the whole process. I mean, uh, like Lisa was saying earlier, like everyone's part of UX. Every design tool we have is part of UX. That's where it's all going. The awkward pause part. Everyone's like, is it time for coffee yet? I'd offer to do a terrible dance, but I've already done a bunch of them. <laughs> All right, well, that's it. We can talk later. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>